I think that's recording now. So, mm -hmm. yay. Um, so welcome to the 8th, I think it's the 8th, episode of the uh, Freedom of Form Foundation podcast. And joining us today, we have the amazing Cascade Crossfox, Cami. Thank Hello you very all. much for coming along. And, uh, of course, we uh, have finally been able to... Uh, Tether him by uh, a sort of a kite string, pull him in from the blustering gale of work. Uh, is he inflatable? It's debatable. He's all bumped up for our show. It's the president and founder of the Freedom of Form Foundation, Zenith Mehathin. Oh my god. Hi. <laughs> that was a hell of an intro. Well, someone had to do it. <laughs> I think it's well worth it. Alright. I appreciate that. That was awesome. <laughs> no problem. And uh, I, of course, am your regular host, Atamanatha Kitsune. So, where do we begin? How about um, we say a little bit about what the Freedom of Form Foundation is from your perspective as its founder? Oh boy. Um, okay, so that is uh, starting off with a really big and beefy question um it's really hard to encapsulate in like a sort of an elevator pitch sort of thing um but you know basically the intent is to make you know freedom of form possible and you know that, that's kind of uh indicated by the name of the company itself obviously but um you know freedom of form is a important concept we think that it should be possible and we think that it is technically possible for people to become uh, something else than like a baseline human, and uh, you know th that would be to accommodate uh, senses of identity, um, or even to uh, you know uh, accommodate certain uh, enhancements that might be desired by that person. Um, so it's really twofold, uh, just like self-expression. Um, and also potential means of enhancement, uh, though you could also uh, theoretically say that enhancement would be a form of self-expression. Um, and, you know, that goal or really set of goals has been, you know, not unpopular uh, in like the general population and especially in some sub-communities, but it, it's really not answered by the biomedical community and we are just trying to you know take that head on Alrighty, that is um, quite an official sounding introduction um, very nicely done so yeah uh, we are a charity for the uh, advocacy and um, actual research into um, freedom of form uh, as a concept and as a an actually doable thing um, that, that can change people's lives and change how we interact with our bodies and our environments. So I think that uh, it's it's great that we've been able to to found this charity and to, to begin to really uh, explore what we can do um, and who we can um, work with and turn to to help us. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I do want to jump in here just a little bit and say that it has been, like, a lot of fun so far in the past, uh, like, two and a half years, give or take. Um, like, <clears throat> we, we've gotten a lot 
further along already than I thought would even be possible. And it's it's been a lot of fun so far. And really, it, it's really made me proud at a lot of uh, times as well. Yeah. Just uh, grab some water. No problem. I'm just telling Telegram to shut up. There we go. All right, so while we're waiting for Zenith to uh, get himself a drink, um, oh, he's back. <laughs> that was yep. cool. I, I I didn't really have anything else to say at, at this point, though. Oh, all right, no worries. Just, yep. Just yep. <laughs> um, okay, so Gammy, um, I understand you um, have been with the Freedom of Form Foundation for a little while now as a as a volunteer and follower of what we do. Um, uh, I, I used to volunteer yeah. a bit, but I never really did anything substantial. I tried to do some of the subtitles for, I, th I think no, it wasn't a podcast. It was the it was the interview with, shoot, I can't remember his name, Devin Proctor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I life got in the way, and I wasn't able to finish that. Yeah, it it was a lot. To be fair, yeah, it was like an hour of subtitles that need to be worked through and I think I got like like a sixteenth of the way done it was a decent amount yeah I mean it, it, it's a lot of work to do that so yeah that's one of the reasons totally understandable mm -hmm. and that's one of the reasons why the Freedom of Form Foundation is looking into getting uh, somebody on board for accessibility so that it could be their job that's so, awesome yeah yeah so, uh, we'll yeah. see. We we do have you know, we do have a candidate, uh, but you know that that's never really settled until it's settled. So absolutely, but uh, yep. so far so good. Um, so we shall see. But mm -hmm. um, in the meantime, we have to uh, obviously keep on trying with the people and resources that we have, and uh, it can seem pretty difficult. Especially given that we're going into an unknown sort of area in some respects. We're trying to do things that have never been done before. So um, I have a, a question now that, that I suppose we should each try to answer in some way. And that is, how do you set out to do the impossible? Very carefully. Make a plan. Now, those are short and sweet answers. I like them. <laughs> Keeping it straight to the point. And uh, yeah, I think we uh, we, we do. Um, we, we have to be methodical and just take it a bit at a time, you know? How do you eat an elephant? You chop it into little pieces. Um, but obviously, I'm not advocating eating actual elephants, as that would be, you know, quite a bad idea. <laughs> given the For multiple uh, reasons. status of them, indeed. Also, just the massive amount of biomass in general. Yeah. <laughs> Well, again, chop it into little pieces, but, you know. <laughs> well, unless you refrigerate it, you're not going to be able to eat all eat it all at once. Of course. But, um, you know, uh, that's kind of an analogy to what we're trying to do here, because we do have a very large workload to get through, and uh, it can seem like it's going to go off before we've ever finished it. But if you take some sensible precautions, you know, um, and make sure that everybody understands what the priorities are and there's somebody available to cover each task um, and it isn't insurmountable 
Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, so, you know, in, in terms of a more actual answer than just very carefully, um, I would say that you, you have to be like ideology and kind of dream driven. Um, like you have to really want it. Um, you have to acknowledge the difficulty, um, which is a little bit of, a, you know, kind of an awkward balance to keep while uh, not losing sight of uh, like your objectives. Um, then you know, being willing to uh, you know, between the balance of those two things, also be willing to just dismiss skepticism sometimes. Like I, I've had several conversations, uh, generally more in the past. Um, like uh, oh, society won't be ready for this. Uh, you know, don't bother. Or oh, that'll never work. You know, standard stuff like that. Um, and you know, some skepticism is worth uh, either respecting or keeping in mind, but others you just shouldn't really even stop to think about because they'll get in your way. Um, and yeah, then finally, it... most important would just be finding good people to work with. Um, sorry, go ahead, Kimmy. I was going to say uh, one piece of skepticism that I've seen a lot regarding uh, what VD is doing with with uh, genetic tech uh, is that it's not going to be done in like 300 years. Um, sorry, just to interject, um, that's Volpine Designs you're referring to, a different company. Yeah, I'm, I'm referring to VD. Um, venereal disease uh, or Volpine Designs? <laughs> yeah. Be careful when it comes to these acronyms. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to make it happen in here. This is why I never use the acronym, I always call it Volpine. <laughs> Just Honestly, I, I I don't even think about it. Uh, but what I was saying is one one piece of skepticism I see quite a lot is that people are saying it's not going to be done in like 300 years. And the people who say that just don't – they just can't wrap their mind around how far we've come and how close it is. Like we already have a lot of the groundwork laid out already. The biggest hurdles are just going to be developing the software and getting it to work on adult humans. I, I would actually, um, you know, I, I can definitely appreciate the skepticism. Um, so th there, there's a couple parts of that. Uh, first of all, I, I would actually re uh, reject the skepticism about taking 300 years just based on um, what I know about Volpine's uh, aims. Like, e even though the genetic ideas and proposed implementations are very complicated, um, and you know maybe maybe even I would go so far as to saying maybe uh, several uh, you know you would need like several more people than they already have in order to have a good chance of success. But um, you know n none of that makes it so difficult as to say that it would take several hundreds of years. And like you know it, it's complicated, but not that complicated. Um, then on the other hand, I would say that. Um, you know, it, it is true that it is still quite complicated, and it would be reasonable to suppose that, at least in the short to medium term, it is worth looking at other technologies that wouldn't require quite as uh, substantial of uh, like a high-fidelity high biomolecular simulation of sorts, like uh, ways that you can make... Uh, approximations without understanding 
quantitatively all of the underlying biology. Um, and you know, bioprinting would be a good a good way to get around that because if you if you stick cells in the right place, they don't have to understand where they are. Whereas with genetic modifications, you would have to have the cells understand exactly where they are. Um, but so, that was a ramble. A little bit, but it was a useful one. Um, so we, we can say then that the, the Freedom of Form Foundation itself um, is not putting all its eggs in one basket. It's um, you know keeping an eye on multiple p possible technological pathways and um, developing um, you know, parallel uh, possibilities, isn't it? Yes. So, uh, I see that as being a uh, a, a beneficial thing, um, certainly to have um, you know the, the FFF there doing that, and then you know you've got companies like Vulpine Designs, and uh, you know there's there's other organisations out there too that are focusing on other aspects and, and potentials for freedom of form, such as as the Terrasem movement. They're looking at mind uploading. We don't necessarily agree with their approach, but it's. A thing that they're doing and it's worth keeping an eye on because they might find out something that we don't know we might find out something they don't know we could share our knowledge and lead to a better possibility in the future of, of some sort of success so uh, that that is true with with several sorts of organizations like these that have their different approaches and different reasons but in the end are working towards very similar goals indeed now, um, and uh, looping back around to the 300-year comment, it took us 300 years to go from wooden sailing ships to landing on the moon. So 300 years is a long time. That is, of course, you know, based on how quickly technological development occurred when we had a much smaller population on the planet and a much lower degree of technological development compared to what we have now. Yeah, and now we could go from wooden sailing ships to rocket ships in like 10 years. In in the equivalent sense, yeah. With the equivalent population, yeah. Or not equivalent population, but equivalent uh, gains with yeah. the increased population. Yeah. Um, and that is the uh, exponential increase in you know, technological development that uh, often gets referred to by futurists as bringing us towards a singularity sort of moment when AI is supposed to then become more intelligent than humans. That will be a very interesting time. Uh, but will it actually I don't think happen? that'll uh, I don't think that'll ever actually technically happen. Because I think that before the singularity happens, humans will have a way to improve their own minds beyond what AI will ever be capable of. Hmm, perhaps. So, so technically uh, you could still have a singularity where AI surpasses that of yeah. what humans used to be, but humans will still be light years ahead of AI. Zenith, what were you going to uh, This is uh, getting pretty complicated pretty fast. Um, like, you know, maybe you would have the possibility of having a, like a subpopulation of cognitively enhanced humans. Uh, however, um, you know, that would necessarily have a variability of people who have access to that. Yeah. Um, so it, it could be get a little bit um, challenging ethics-wise yeah. uh, if you have like AI somewhere in the middle between enhanced humans and the normal humans. It's something that I I don't necessarily 
want to put ourselves into because we're not expert enough in that area to have a meaningful impact in preventing something like that. Indeed. Um, we know where our limitations are. Um, yeah. And we know what, what we would be comfortable to work on. Um, but how, um, I mean, when, when you're actually trying to sort of spread the word about, um, about the Freedom of Form Foundation, what it is, what it can do and what it can't do, um, or what it doesn't particularly intend to do at least, uh, how do you um, build an understanding um, that is you know, sufficient there to uh, attract the previously disinterested people um, you know, who might have been put off by worries about our ethics or about the potential for us to have some kind of negative outcome that, that we haven't mentioned or whatever, um, or that other people have perhaps said about that, that may occur in general because of such technological developments. Um, like, how do you bring people around to our side, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so, at least in terms of my personal opinion, um, or at least the way that I'm seeing it, um, I I believe that freedom of form is actually a really broad idea um, that can affect essentially anyone's life in whatever way they want. It's it's pretty uh, you know f focused on uh, like individualism and like uh, a, a person's like individual rights and choices. Um, and, you know, again, that includes aspects of both self-expression and potentially enhancement. Um, so I, I would go so far as to say that even the majority of the world's population might be interested in some sort of a physical change. Uh, and that includes things like maybe weight management, physical endurance, uh, maybe better vision or eyesight, or e even like changing the sort of hair that they have. Um, either for uh, you know uh, reversing hair loss or like changing hair color um you know what have you um and obviously there's ways of accomplishing some of those things with current technology um but those are uh, either temporary or done from the perspective of fixing a patient rather than uh from the perspective of letting them you know uh have a changed form of personal expression in a more permanent way or even from the aspect of enhancement um like again especially physical endurance you know i would bet you that a lot of people would be interested in that sort of thing um but that's just not really uh entertained in the biomedical community um and i i would say that the people who want those sorts of things should be respected and at the same time they shouldn't even be shy about it uh, and that might help overcome uh, some of the hesitation that the biomedical community has in terms of making those things possible all right um so do you see that as um being a, a sort of important stepping stone to, to them bringing more people on board who might um, assist us in our goals uh, I mean, maybe in, in terms of um, like our general ability to influence the discussion. Yes, um, will that directly benefit the um, like the Freedom of Form Foundation 
corporation? I I don't know, but would it benefit the mission? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So um, how do we convert that into a sort of sustainable advocacy and research organization when you when you're gathering people together in that manner? Um, so the the broader based. Uh, possible interest I mentioned um, I think would be a little bit difficult to translate into a sustainable organization um, but you know in, in terms of things that are at least um, like closer to what people in our organization most immediately want like that is a little bit more actionable um, so you know this is really two separate things like on, on one hand I was just talking about um, like a, a very possible broad-based interest. And then on the other hand, uh, there's like the specific classes of physical change that a lot of like us, like us in this room would be interested in. Um, so, you know, they are not mutually exclusive, but it helps to kind of bend them for what we can and can't like personally actuate on. Um, so, you know, in terms of, um, you know, what we're interested in personally, like, you know, tails and such, um, which would be awesome. Um, you know, uh, you know it, it will take still like effort and acknowledging the difficulties and, um, like one of the more key things is providing some technical guidance, um. And by that, what I mean is, uh, you know, like a couple of years ago now, we did put together that white paper that was talking about anatomies and possible research areas, and that 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 was sort of homework where we uh, settled on the four like main research areas that we were interested in, like the uh, bioprinting, neuroprosthetics, genetic modifications, then surgical techniques. Um, you know that that was really where we uh, nailed down those uh, research areas, and um, I, like that sort of technical review um, is one of our more like in, important ways to have a sustainable influence because it helps guide um, decision making of. Uh, you know, researchers, and um, it, it, it can even help guide, like, uh, potentially career decisions for, like, the next generation of scientists um, and, and doctors to see where um, they can realistically make an impact. Um, so, you know, that that's, like, one of our more, um, you know, key ways to have a really sustainable influence. So um, when you um, have that kind of um, sustainable influence going, um, who then does the actual research? Uh, yeah, that, that is a good question. Um, so in, in terms of uh, uh, the Freedom Forum Foundation, that really divides into two different aspects. Um, uh, and, and that is like extramural or outside the company is an intramural or inside the company. Um, so the extramural stuff is uh, kind of as acting as a standard um, like grant giving 
um, like funding source, um, like the NIH or NSF, except um, you know, not afraid of, uh, I guess, uh, you know, shaking things up a little bit. Um, and uh, like the intramural thing uh, is about uh, for a few like very specific items of interest that should have a high impact and um, maybe are not uh, you know able to be uh, like able to be done outside just because uh, some people just aren't like in the right position to do so. Yeah. Um, you know, running some projects in-house, uh, such as the 3D anatomy project, um, you know, can really help uh, develop some like key platforms and interfaces that would let a lot of other stuff from outside link together or assemble knowledge in a really nice and cost-effective way. Um, so, you know, like uh, stuff done inside should be like. Uh, you know, kind of technically easy, but at the same time, ideally, um, they would be intended to be very influential. Cool. Um, all right. So, if you, um, I mean, oh, I was going to say a thing. I forgot what it was. <laughs> um, but never mind. I'll, I'll go back to the list of questions. Um, how do we organise what we're doing in the most effective way? Um, when it comes to these, um, you know, internal uh, researchers in particular, but also when it comes to like offering grants. Um. Yeah. So that's a that's a really good question. Um, so I would say that uh, in terms of organization, it's a little bit too much to realistically expect us to uh, organize. Um, everything or even close to everything um, and there's a few things that we should uh, like target in particular um, one of the easiest uh, and like one of the lowest bars is just reaching out to various people and then like hooking them up or letting them you know start talking uh, getting past introductions and then letting them uh, develop or organize information as they see fit um, so, like, that doesn't even really require us to hold any documents or anything. It's just, like, you know, introductions. Um, but still very, uh, a, a high possibility of influence. Um, then, besides that, um, in terms of information that we can organize, um, like, I, I, I don't necessarily want to keep going to, uh, back to the white papers from a couple years ago, but I, I really do think that they're uh, really important and do a good job of grabbing some of the key concepts and, like, describing them in a, uh, a really sure. concise and effective way. Um, um, a lot of our listeners um, will probably know that we, we have our website at freedomofform.org. Um, and on there you can find those white papers if you have a look through the uh, research link. Um, but if you are just looking at our day-to-day -day work, um, you know, how are we organising that? Um, I'm talking about managing projects, um, you know, and making sure that we're getting everything um, done without forgetting any important steps. 
Oh, so so you're asking more about the uh, the more day to day organization? Somewhat. Okay. Um. So okay, so we use uh like not really a formal Kanban system, but we do have um like uh, project management stuff uh, that is um. You know, kind of imperfectly implemented, but at least it's uh, it's something. Um, other ways that we organize uh, information is, uh, I mean, it's not really a formal organization method per se, but uh, just making sure that people are having meetings together with uh, somewhat regularity um, is you know very important, and that that synchronizes people and then they can kind of keep their own notes uh, sometimes in meetings we uh, have like combined or shared notes uh, which is a little bit more convenient sometimes um, and uh, like another way that we organize information is uh, it, in terms of like specific projects that we have going on um, we we have been uh, for the past few months trying this uh, method of only letting people on the project uh, talk to each other um, to kind of uh, prevent uh, like people from outside the project from uh, providing uh, distractions. Like, like yeah, d distractions. Like, you know, the, uh, people outside the project are often. Uh, well-meaning. Uh, however, sometimes a lot of the ideas given have already been considered uh, for uh, you know various reasons, um, and it, it allows the people on the project to uh, specialize and then get deeper into a specific implementation that they're already well yeah. underway on. Because that's something I've seen happen in uh, my uh, other um, role elsewhere too, in which people when when they're new and you're introducing them into the organization they will ask all the same questions that everybody else has asked before and they will demand answers for them and you will have to give them your time and attention and it's like yeah we've already answered this like five times before you know i mean not not not, not everyone is like that like uh and, and a lot of times like even that is like you know well-meaning and it's just like oh, yeah. uh really really intense curiosity um but um you know, at the same time, like, uh, if you have someone who is uh, already not technically acquainted with um, a lot of the detailed implementation that's already underway, then that that sort of question, um, it, it's an interesting discussion, but an interesting discussion is not the point of managing a project. Indeed. So it helps when we can focus. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that sort of has an interesting interplay against, um, you know, trying to be transparent, of course, because if you're trying to um, keep a, a conversation on track um, and you don't want to be sort of, you know, I don't know, I don't want to say accused, but um, thought of as potentially suppressing freedom of speech or, you know, suppressing good ideas from getting into the mixture. Um, you know, you sort of have a bit of a tightrope to walk, don't you? Between uh, trying to, on the one hand, keep focus, and on the other hand, keep people involved. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it, it's definitely a uh, important balance to keep. Um, so, 
you know, we do keep our eyes out for people who are um, like consistently and uh, like uh, having capability towards uh, you know working on a project. Um, and you know, we're we're able to see from more general discussions, uh, like in the Freedom Form Foundation community server, um, we're we're able to see, like you know, based on the comments that people make. Um, whether they could have um, capability or like really good insights to provide. Um, so, um, you know, we're, we're able to take that general context and, uh, you know, as, as, uh, as uh, relevant, um, you know, we can, we can uh, always in a flexible way add people to uh, projects that they would be a good match for. Um, and, uh, you know, like by by good match, um, like the, there is the consistency, there is the technical capability, um, and there is uh, also, um, you know, honestly, like the uh, attention to maintaining a good chemistry between people. Um, like we've uh, never really had a problem with chemistry, but it's something that, just being realistic, we always have to be attentive to. Um, so. Um, all of this is to say um, we can uh, always add people to projects. We just do it very carefully. Thank you very much. And very carefully is one of my recurring answers. <laughs> he's, he's very careful, Dragon. <clears throat> um, all right. So you um, may have heard a slight noise just now. Uh, our good friend Audric has dropped in. Um, so welcoming our Swiss um, bird from... Uh, Afar, you have uh, brought us news, I hope, Andrik? Good day, Bert. Uh, not much. Um, I want to say I'm not Swiss. I'm Slovak. I just Slovak, live in Switzerland. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. And unfortunately, we can't talk that much because, um, um, yeah, I have said that in the chat and uh, there would be a lot of noise. So I would just sometimes mute and unmute myself and uh, maybe talk. Okay. Um, I maybe hope everything's going talk. well for you. Yeah, I think he's on um, using mute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Andrik, um, if you've anything you'd like to say, um, you know, feel free to uh, let us know. And uh, yeah, nice to have you. So, uh, what was I going to say? <laughs> we were talking about the ways we're organising things, and that. It was a bit long, but we got there. Um, thank you very much, Zenith, for that. So, I just want to mm -hmm. ask, what should we do um, in order to get regulations and governments to see why freedom of form is such an essential thing to us, and why it should be essential, really, to, to more people, because in, in many respects, at least from my perspective, it looks as if it's something that a lot of people could benefit from. Get the greater medical community on it basically just get their support and then it'll grow outwards from there that's certainly yeah I, I think that's a, a very good thing to look into for sure um, the only you know, problem just... is a lot of politicians don't listen to medical professionals <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, we, we know that's from this year how timely yeah, this year has been insane in terms of that 
Indeed, without going too far into politics, mm. of course, but uh, yes, that, that reference is allowed, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone gets it at this point without us even needing to say it. Yep. <laughs> um, so, so you know, following that, I would say that um, at least we should spend a little bit of effort uh, having open and on honest conversations with, um, you know, think tanks uh, and even politicians to a degree. Um, just because, um, like, you know, b besides people in uh, medical and ethics boards uh, who, should, who we should also be talking to, um, we need to be talking with uh, people who have the ability to actually uh, directly influence uh, policy and regulations. Um, and having open and honest conversations with them, uh, like figuring out um, what they want um, and casting Freedom Forum as something that's personally relatable to them um, should actually help a lot. Um, like, th this goes back to um, my belief that I mentioned as we were starting the podcast, and that is that I, I believe that the idea of Freedom Forum is uh, potentially attractive to like a, a lot of people, and maybe even the majority of uh, people um, so you know having a discussion that makes that personally relatable and you know maybe gets them over the edge of being shy about what they might want if it was possible um, should go a long way actually and uh, you know, in, in uh, yeah with all the um, sort of relatively professional um, manner of speaking that you've gone through so far uh, you know, management speak, to put it bluntly. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've had practice. <laughs> I mean, I'm just picturing one of those blue sky thinking kind of team building sessions um, in which, you know, we're, we're running the, the show this time and we're just saying to all these middle management kind of people and these politicians, now, imagine no rules at all about what you can and can't be. What would you be? Write it down. Draw a picture on the flip chart, you know. <laughs> I think that that's actually a great strategy. Yeah. It sounds good. The problem is just getting it in motion. Yeah. Huh. Who knows? We might have just generated some ideas here. Yeah. yeah. I'm like writing it. this down. Yeah, and, and like, uh, just to make sure that, um, like, you know, g given that people are probably uh, pretty accustomed to not entertaining ideas that are too far out there, uh, we could at least um, encourage them to write down, like, oh, would you be interested in if you could have, like, permanently purple hair or something like that? Um, and, you know, like, e even low-level changes like that could really get um, uh, the, the kind of gears working inside the minds of people who formerly hadn't considered stuff like that. Indeed, though there's also low-hanging fruit to be found, I'm sure. I mean, you know, you can look at places like the Future of Humanity Institute where we recently did an interview and you can say, well, clearly there's already a latent interest in the yeah. fields there. So maybe we can sort of slightly loosen our definition of um, how much interest there needs to be and at the same time just reduce the expectation of... Um, how much of a modification we're talking about. 
and do as you said. That sounds awesome. So, th- this is starting to sound more like a meeting and less like a podcast. Whoops. One thing that um, I have thought of be that uh, people which would uh, want to transform would uh, first be put into like virtual reality, what it would, f- so that they would know what it feel like. Oh, I could handle that with the Avatar and, project. Uh, yeah, and then you would also be able to just change this much more easily because you would basically get instant feedback on what that change would be like. Yeah, I think that that actually be a great application for what I'm working on. Beyond I, just I do, personal freedom of form. Yeah, I, I do really like the idea of um, like having people uh, uh, given the option of uh, trying stuff out in virtual reality. Um, I'm, I'm still skeptical that it would be like like uh, fully um, immersive. Um, and you know one of the biggest things that still holds me back a little bit is just uh, I, I can't maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong or like thinking about it the wrong way, but I, I have a hard time imagining how you can trick the vestibular cochlear organ and other things that influence balance to Oh, you're um, not tricking it. The the VR harness that you're on is physically rotating. Oh. <clears throat> well, that would be similar to those um, big simulator things that you get at theme parks, you know. The, That's exactly you know, the idea. The ones that are shaped a bit like those shuttles from Star Trek. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, somehow I would still have to mess with the sense of feeling, such that, for instance, if you would stroke your arm, you would actually feel something like fur or feathers or something like that. Yeah, I'm thinking electrical stimulation would work for that, but I'm not entirely sure. We'll have to... Th- that's a bridge I'll have to cross when I get to it. Yeah, you'd have to do that very carefully. Uh, as if you guessed it. <laughs> but, yeah. but this is um, segueing us into science news. Because we've been talking a little bit about science, so I get to say that. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, Cammy, first of all, um, have you seen any uh, interesting science news kicking around before I launch into the ones that I've got prepared? Uh, yes, I have, actually. Scientists developed an optical pest deterrent. Vertical black and white stripes. It's based on zebra uh, fur, I guess. Nice. Um, do you want to um, post a link to that in our text chat so that we can include it with the upload of the podcast afterwards? Uh, I'll see if I can find it, actually. Uh, I'll... I'll get back to you on that. But basically, they painted a cow black and white, and it actually worked. Nice. Okay, so, yeah, um, we'll, we'll be posting links to our science news um, in the description afterwards. Um, and do you have any other uh, stories you want to raise before I go into mine? Uh, not that I can think of at the moment, no. All right, and how about you, Zenith? Um... No, I, I don't have any uh, links to post. I don't have any medium-sized wildcats, so no. Oh. <laughs> and um, in that case, uh, I don't think Andrik was prepared, were you? Because she kind of just dropped oh, in. I mean, uh, well, as for science, I don't think it's really science, but like um, perseverance. That, that happened, yeah. Eh? What? Y- you know, the Mars rover. Oh, the Perseverance rover. Yes. Oh, yes. Sorry. Oh, oh, shoot. I just saw a video on that yesterday. I forgot it was launching soon. 
course. Yeah, I watched it live. So that's been launched. Yeah. Oh, it's already been launched? Yes. Yeah. I thought it launched later this month. No. Oh, wait, it's August already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. It's Switzerland Day. Well, in that case, Switzerland Day. In, in that case, I best get some cheese with holes in it and, um, you know, play around with, with some uh, clocks and nice chocolate. Because obviously, you know, you've got to live the stereotypes. In an American yeah. style. And, of course, banks and money. Yes. <laughs> you forgot folks. We've got to do some banking, organize our money. Indeed. God, I need to do that so badly. With the with the COVID situation in the US, it's been virtually impossible to go anywhere, so I can't, like, take money to the bank to deposit it. Ah. Yeah, this is um, why now we're, we're in a more sort of uh, online-based situation, really, for a lot of banking now. Yeah, so physical money can't exactly be with, with uh, not withdrawn, but uh, deposited easily. Indeed. So, people be careful, please, because COVID is indeed still in the science news. Hey, I managed to segue us back again. Uh, <laughs> um, but, on a slightly happier note, um, you know, there are ways that um, that we could potentially research into um, how you would grow a tail. Um, obviously the Freedom of Form Foundation is at the forefront of these kinds of research, but uh, I was looking um, just sort of in a casual way at uh, the SciShow on YouTube, that uh, famous sort of 10 minute explainer on any given scientific subject, and uh, recently they had a video about atavisms. So. Uh, I, I present to you um, with a couple of links in our description below uh, Atom and Atha's uh, atavism argument uh, which is that apparently atavisms are ancestrally atrophied anatomical antecedent activations <clears throat> and are apt as anthropomorphic animal attributes annoyingly um, arranging actual affixation as affectations applies another actualization approach altogether alright <laughs> A. A. <laughs> yeah, just that's, plus. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's just like a tongue twister and a hand. <laughs> a. Um, do, yeah. do birds have tongues? They do. Yes. Yep. Okay, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, th those sorts of questions, along with how do you grow a tail if you don't have a tail, um, you know. For humans, um, was they get asked on websites like Quora.com, and it's quite an interesting one to see because you get a mixture of zany and insane questions, and then actual experts on the subject answering them. Um, so it, it can be quite a fascinating website if you want to kill some time but learn something in the same process. Um, sounds like fun. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I do. I do like that one. Um, and another bit of science news now this is something that I feel it's important to mention um, the when when people make studies uh, particularly about far out there subjects they still have to publish them and it can be difficult to persuade your peers to review them and when they do review them they might not review them favorably don't let that get you down though um, now there's a website called openreview.net and uh, I found a link on there recently. Um, it was from a little while ago, but it's a, a peer review rejected paper on applying cat whiskers to humans. It appears that most of the rejections of the peer review were on the grounds um, of 
it not being particularly easy to justify um, the benefits of applying cat whiskers, which was apparently the intention of the paper, was, was to try to justify the benefits. Um, and so it kind of was... Benefit number one, yeah. whiskers. <laughs> it should be a self-defining benefit. Exactly. Then, you know, <laughs> these reviewers were just your sort of regular stick-in-the-mud um, peer-reviewing scientists who had to take it on a very factual basis of does this actually do what it says on the tin? Does it actually provide a tangible benefit that a, an, an ordinary person, so to speak, uh, somebody who isn't passionately interested in the field would, you know, would understand and, and enjoy? Does it actually contribute to science per se or does it just contribute to people's fantasies and I think that's a difficult line to draw and it's a good question as to whether the bigger failure was on the part of the original writers or if the peer reviewers for lacking imagination could it have been both also you furry that's another reason they probably denied it I'm actually reading through uh, some of the reviewer comments now, and uh, like the the significance of the research is mentioned. However, the reviewers are actually reasonably positive, and they describe it as uh, a little bit of a weak-ish paper, and uh, like the word disappointment or uh, no, does not deliver as promised uh, comes up. Um, so I, I think what professional well. when you make these studies. Well, I, I mean, the one the reviewer who says it does not deliver as promised also says it was a intriguing study with good motivation. So I, I wouldn't describe that as being a uh, biased uh, reviewer. Um, yeah, I wouldn't either. That sounds like they actually support the idea. Yeah. Um, and that the reviewer who said that says rating four okay but not good enough rejection, um, despite being like positive on the overall idea. So I'm like, uh, you know, uh, you know, having looked at the paper myself, like it, it was like interesting, um, but it seemed maybe slightly sloppy. Um, so I, I could even see myself, if I were a viewer, like potentially called for at least like a redo of the experiments or something. Um, but you know, so yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily knock the reviewers. All right. So that's fair. I mean, but then again, I I can also be a really mean reviewer. <laughs> Honestly, same. Have, I've, I've been I'm, real, I'm generally uh, pretty lenient, before. but like, if something is a glaring issue, I'm going to go ham on it. Yeah, but like, you know, who's going to be your worst critics? Probably your closest allies, because they really don't want you to slip up in the slightest way on something exactly. they care so that's, much about. That's, that's why I do it. Yep. So, I am the third reviewer. I think, uh, you know what they say, everyone is their own harshest critic. That's true, and that includes groups. Yeah. yeah. Groups can be their own harshest critics. Um, so yeah, we, we do have to take care, obviously, not to accidentally shoot our own ideas down in flames when they've already passed the tests that they would need to pass in society. 
but at the same time we do need to maintain a high enough degree of professionalism to pass those tests in the first place. I am glad that we're not managing our own academic journal. At least not yet, because that would be a weird position to be in. Yeah, I imagine that you would get flack from all sides. People would think it's incredibly biased, for sure. Indeed. Um, I mean, I was considering starting a journal of freedom of form, um, and I sort of you know, created a page for it on uh, PubPub quite a long while ago and used it as a place to put my white papers for my company before I really understood the difference between a white paper and a scientific article. Um, <laughs> yay, you know, learning things. But um, yeah, I, I'm glad that it didn't really take off now because I realised that running a journal isn't a simple thing and if you really sort of slip up in the slightest, yeah, it's going to bite you. That's also not the best place to have an impact either relative to the work because um, you don't really get uh, like much of a say in the specific research directions. Um, so, you know, like you're, you're also not using the creativity or knowledge that you have to um, have a more direct hand in the uh, projects either. Um, so, yeah. Fair enough. So, let's see. Uh, we're beginning to whittle down through our subject matter, so this is the point where we can start just rambling more. Um, I, I, I was going to suggest, though, that we should see um, if we can start getting some in-joke references made into merchandise um, so that our fans, uh, our listeners, can um, potentially purchase something from Cafe Press um, through the Freedom of Form Foundation's website uh, that might just sort of have a little subtle nod on it to uh, having listened to this podcast and the shenanigans that we get up to. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of of two minds on um, like having in joke stuff. Like uh, on on the one hand, um, I I think that I would personally enjoy it and think that it's like amusing and such but on the other hand I'm not totally sure whether it's uh, appropriate for our company's image like a few like a few jokes and like April 1st stuff yeah that's great but I, I don't know if I want us to be known more substantially for that I mean it doesn't have to be too jocular in nature it could be more of a kind of just reference to something, you know, in a sort yeah, of, oh, just yeah, like was just, there kind of way, you know, just like a subtle reference to something that was said here that might be taken as a funny thing. Yeah, I mean, right. if, if I had the money, I'd probably of buy Andrik, these. You're a bird. <laughs> yes, yes. So, sorry, what, Andrik? <laughs> I I want to say, if I had the money, I would probably buy the, buy one of these. There we are. But that's, I don't. That that's the uh, deciding vote right there. <laughs> 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 so it's like almost unanimous. Almost, <laughs> it's it's on its way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, maybe we we could um, do a few different kinds of t-shirts and things. You know, expand on what's available from the uh, FFF store, um, and then that just gives people another way to to support what we're doing um, and to show support, particularly for the charity, by buying the the things that. are um, sorry, particularly for the podcast, even by buying the things that are related to it. 
um, and then we can know like is the podcast so popular that it even sells t-shirts <laughs> I mean even if we aren't that level of popularity if we pretend like we are we kind of end up being that way anyway yeah I guess I mean that's kind of a interesting, interesting psychological phenomenon yeah and again if we are saying this while on the podcast then and that's transparency folks that, that yeah. is transparency yeah, and, and I'm just wondering like how how meta does this become? <laughs> like, or have we become meta? This is like that scene from Spaceballs again, where they're looking into the video screen and then looking at the I camera. I love, <laughs> I love that GIF. <laughs> it's a GIF. It is a yeah, GIF. I, I, I pronounce, I pronounce GIF it GIF. is a lemon cleaning <laughs> fluid. Yeah. What? No. I, I, I almost always pronounce it both ways just to annoy both groups at once. I can appreciate that. That's a that. great philosophy. I agree with that. But GIF <laughs> is peanut butter. GIF is a lemon-based cleaning fluid. GIF is also peanut butter. <laughs> and it's also, um, if, if you put uh, FY on the end, it's a Jiffy bag, which is a uh, padded envelope. So, I did not know that. That must be a regional dialect. Yeah, I, I could send you some Jif and some Jif in a Jiffy bag. Yes. <laughs> okay. Fine. Um. Would it be alright if I tried my pot making some t-shirt designs? I kind of like graphical design, but I'm not great at it. I mean, uh, sure. Yeah, go for it. I mean, you, you made the uh, logo for the podcast, which is perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with it. Thanks. So, mm. cheers. Oh, you also did yeah. the uh, the rainbow uh, pride month thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, and you, yeah. you also didn't. I, you also I do make so many random things. It's hard for me to remember all of them. Hang on, you're oh. both talking at once. Sorry, oh. try again. I didn't. You also. A cami first. No. Cami was already going, yeah. but then on yeah. Sure. As I was saying, uh, I've made so many random things over the years. I've just kind of forgotten all of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I want to say, if I recall correctly, also made for some other things for some other servers. So, yeah. Oh yeah, the uh, morphological freedom logo. Yeah. yeah, and I also made the I also made the logo for kinship and also the pride flag variant. Yeah. As cool. well as several species flags that have kind of fallen into disuse because nobody has even touched them in months. Yeah, I think there's yeah. there's pride flag fatigue. To be honest, um, you know, there's, there's only so much vexillology you can really uh, spread around before people forget yeah. what half the flags mean. Yeah, I, yeah. I have tried my hand at uh, making a general animalkin pride flag, which would be something I wanted for it to go in the style of familiar yet different to show that it's different from the LGBT community, but that it's also something that um, should be. That, but I thought that a pride flag would kind of maybe help with awareness and such. Well, on the result isn't too great, I will yeah. say that. Well, on that subject, I know that there is a uh, transspecies pride flag. Um, and maybe it would be a more sensible idea just to take that flag and either shape the flag itself like a particular species or its paws or some other you know, recognizable feature of it. Uh, or, you know, put a, a symbol overlay on the flag of th that thing. Yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing with the with the species flags that I've made. It's it's the pride flag itself, but the colors are representative of the species, and also there's a 
there's some kind of paw print or hoof print or something that's representative of the species yeah, as well. Yeah, the downside of doing it that way is that you're generating essentially whole new flags because using different colours, um, you, you fast run into like, you know, difficulty of recognising it because there's a lot of different pride flags already that have very different meanings to each other. Um, so that's why I'm suggesting maybe if, if you kept with the same colours, you know, the, the, the colours from the transspecies pride flag, because that's one we could all agree applies yeah. to all these species that you're making the pride flags for. Uh, and then yeah. you just have, you know, a, a shape difference for each species that is recognizable as that species. Yeah, I think that's a great um, idea. Uh, the problem I had with Andrek's flag is that the colors didn't really mean anything, from what I understand. Yeah, the colors were just, just kind of place placeholders, essentially. I didn't really know what to put there, so I just made it a, made a general shape, and that was pretty much it. I didn't really stop to think about the symbolism of the colors, because that was not at the forefront of flag when yeah, I Yeah, usually it. when you make a flag that has symbolism, you think of the symbolism first, then assign those symbols to colors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a kind of related question. Um, the, the, having like a general uh, like a, a general coloration scheme with the transspecies flag, that kind of makes sense, but um, you know, hypothetically, uh, you know, uh, like uh, extant mammals have um, kind of stereotypical colors that uh, correspond to the species, or or at least to um, like populations within the species, like different uh, territories of foxes and whatnot. Um, but you know, on, on the other hand, we have uh, dragons, and you know, I have no idea why I'm bringing this up. But dragons uh, are often cast as having a variety of colors, and like that, it it's less clear that there would be a specific population to which a specific flag could be yeah. ascribed. That's why I was suggesting just go with the shape. Yeah, and I, then I there's also the that. problem that is there are so many different types of dragons, and the drag the name dragon kind of just is more of a blanket term. Yep. So I, 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 I like I I could make a witty remark, but I mean really, yeah, that's pretty much true, I agree. Because like you got wyverns and you got drakes and you got like eastern dragons, etc. etc. Yep. And we could drag on and on about that, but we won't. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean I mean there are so many different animals and so many different species with so many different colours. Pretty much the only like really binding thing about all trans species focus that they don't want to be human which I guess what you could do is take the human colors and just invert them but yeah I think that would look a bit weird yeah it would well, I'll have to give that some thought at some point heck maybe once that's like done we could have those be t-shirts well the flags yeah um, I don't see why not I think they'd be pretty cool I agree. So uh, that that could be. A th I I think that one thing that, that is in common to all species, at least generally, is that uh, we all have colors on the visible spectrum. Yay! Sometimes the sometimes in the ultraviolet and like IR spectrum, but at least we have that in common. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so we should just take uh, ultraviolet on one side, infrared on the other, and invert them. 
Sure. I'm just I don't see how that would work, because that, would, that wouldn't even be visible. <laughs> I mean, I would see the ultraviolet parts, but that's only after transform, so... Yeah, and we're kind of we're kind of supposed to be pandering to humans here. It's it's a yeah. very sort of covert flag that you know you can't see it unless you're wearing night vision goggles, <laughs> or have bird eyes. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Actually, that's kind of cool. We, we we could totally use the IR UV ink and have a, a that that would be cool. If you are reading this, you're probably in the military. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, it would be expensive, like stupidly expensive to produce though, so... Yeah, like if you wanted to get really insane with it, you could have like multiple different designs layered on top of each other, but all in different light spectrums. But that would be absurdly costly to actually produce, so that'd be prohibitive. Well, looks like you better get on it. <laughs> Dear Lord. Put your foot in it there. Oh dear. Um, so, yeah, I hope everybody who's listening is enjoying our random conversations here and uh, that you like, comment, and subscribe if you're uh, watching on YouTube or do the uh, you know favourites and liking on uh, SoundCloud. And we do appreciate that. It helps with the algorithms that uh, you know bring us to more people. Uh, oh, and turn off ad block and click every single ad. I don't think we have any ads on ours. Um, <laughs> I know it's 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 a joke. Yeah. Uh, I like and subscribe. Um, actually, I do have one more comment about yeah. flags. Um, you know, some like obviously rectangles are the most common shapes of flags. However, some flags have weird shapes. We could have a tail-shaped flag. Why not? That's an amazing idea. I love that. Except, which tail would it be shaped like? Hmm. Several. <laughs> yeah, the, the tail shape could be part of what's indicative of the species, and the fact that they're all shaped like certain tails is what ties them together. I see. We could totally, we could totally make like the, those little window flags that people put on cars. Oh yeah, uh, actually that'd be really good. You know, the, those little um, plastic transfer um, stickers that you can put in car windows. Yeah. Sure. I okay, still think I have no idea what to do with that idea. They're the easiest to produce. <laughs> Sorry? I I said, I think rectangles would be best because they're the easiest to produce, and I did not hear what you said, Zenith. Uh, it doesn't matter. Alright. Uh, like, rectangles <laughs> are the easiest to make, and also the shapes um, won't be confusing, and they won't really be misinterpreted, or not misinterpreted, but um, shown wrongly because just a rectangle, I mean. And even squares are not... are sometimes drawn as rectangles. I mean, just look at the Swiss flag. Yes, that's what I want to say. <laughs> well, I think that's just a matter of standardization. Yeah. It's like, um, if you look at the Nepali flag, that's an even more in, uh, amusing example there, because they've got two triangles. Um, and, you know, some apps, they just put that on a white rectangle background anyway. Yeah, and then there's the Ohio flag, which is like a double pennant. Yeah, so there you go. Anyway, <laughs> um, we have plenty of um, ways that people can support the uh, charity and support our podcast. Um, so it's not just liking, commenting, and subscribing, of course. You can also hit the notification bell on YouTube, and you can donate as well. We have a Patreon. And um, we have a PayPal. So 
check out the uh, links for those, which um, we'll try to remember to include in the description this time. Uh, but even if we don't, they're always there on our website. So, thanks for letting me shoehorn those in, everyone. Um, yeah, no worries. Yeah, got to uh, you know shake the charity bucket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No one has ever sponsored this podcast yet. Indeed. Um, well, I mean, unless you count just us giving our time to it. But yeah, something like something external will happen eventually. Yeah, I mean, this is true. Um, I mean, you know, at the current rate, it's going to be inevitable. I suppose the charity is technically sponsoring it by, you know, covering some of the equipment that we're using for recording it. But uh, you know, that's in order for us to spread the word about the charity. So it's a reciprocal thing. It's part of the same. Yeah, I think, I think that's more of an internal thing rather yeah. than an external thing. Indeed. That's not really sponsorship, is it? No, it's more just operating costs. Okie dokie. Um, uh, just... It's really cost effective. And actually, it's uh, it, it's one of those uh, things, like one of these several things that we're doing that is um, intended to be very cost effective uh, relative to the amount of influence that it can have. Um, yep. So... Yeah, yeah this is getting a little meta that. again, but yeah. Well, we also um, have appeared in uh, other podcasts, you know, with um, Anthropologists. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, right. That, that was great fun. Uh, I hope to talk to them again soon. Um, I wish I could have been there. That would have been cool. It'd be great to be on their show again. Um, and yeah, we're looking forward to uh, any other podcasters who want to, uh, you know, do a collaboration. We'll uh, happily do some cross pollination of um, links and. Um, references there, no problem. This gives me an idea, actually, for someone that we could have a uh, kind of a cross-pollination podcast with. Yeah. Um, I, I don't necessarily want to state... Yeah, j just in case they, you know, have something come up or, you know, just because, like, that's been the card ahead of the horse, but I think they would go for it. Hmm. Can you put it in text? Huh? Oh, alright. Sorry, you were both talking. Oh, yeah, I could totally see that working. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, he, he's been pretty, you know, uh, not just receptive, but enthusiastic so far. So, yeah, we can see. That sounds awesome. All right. So, yeah, I, I'd love to be on such a podcast. Yeah, we, yeah, we shall see. We shall see. So, this, this podcast has been a sort of slightly more meta one, but. Uh, you know, I'm hoping that including a bit of science news for once, which I was supposed to be doing from day one, but getting around to it was another matter. <laughs> um, you know, and being a bit more sort of organised beforehand with things to say is uh, helping it along. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. The the science news actually, I just um, I, I realised when I went through the atavism thing, I just gave my alliterative thing and then I moved swiftly onwards and didn't actually explain it properly, but. Um, yeah, we'll be providing a link to the uh, YouTube video in question. It's from SciShow. It's about lost traits. Um, so that's what an atavism is. It's a trait that an animal had, and then in an, in recent evolution, it lost that trait. And then just occasionally, it comes back through a, a genetic sort of... Um, well, I don't want to say aberration necessarily, but a, a genetic kind of rollback um, that can occur with some mutations. 
Um, yeah, that, that sounds pretty reasonable. Um, I would caution, however, uh, against uh, making any sort of a claim that that would have a immediate role in uh, oh, technologies relevant to freedom of form, uh, just because, like, you know, stuff like that, uh, it's... And it's, it's at, at least from what I know, at least from the examples I know, it's all like um, like apoptosis or, or other programmed cell death mechanisms based okay. on. Yeah, what? It's okay. Huh? I already mentioned. <laughs> I already okay. mentioned exactly that in okay. my alliterative description. I said. Okay, I yeah, my my eyes. Oh, no, the A's are coming over. back. <laughs> yes. Uh, arranging actual affixation as affectations applies another actualization approach altogether. As in, in other words, it ain't that simple. <laughs> it looks promising, but it might not be. Yeah. So. Yeah, like, if apoptosis has already occurred on the cells, then you'd have to replace them with new ones. Um, and it's really as simple as that. I mean, with with your sort of rollback gene um, potentially happening from birth, you know, for, for a, an atavism to occur... That's not something that you're necessarily going to be able to just introduce, um, you know, and expect it to work straight away in an adult. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot more to it than that, for a start. Yeah, good point. Um, and yeah. also, if, if it's just one gene, it isn't usually enough to actually give you the full thing. For example, if you look at um, vestigial tails in humans, which are given as an example of these atavisms, they don't have bones in them as a rule of thumb. Um, because that's a separate gene. Oh, so that would imply like multiple different um, like regulators of apoptosis of different uh, like cell lines in there. Yeah, um, not just the apoptosis, but you know the the actual encouragement of growth in the first place. Um, oh shit! Because you know beyond a certain length that you get to as a fetus, the tail then isn't going to grow any further without the uh, regulation being correct for that. What happens if it's the other way around with the tail not forming but the gene for the bones there being present? Uh, well, that would just... I don't know enough about the mechanisms to really say. That, that would just give um, you a mess of a base of your spine. I mean, I don't think that there's a single gene for the bones in the tail, but I am not an expert. Yeah. Um, so you know, one thing is uh, in in humans, the uh, like a lot of bones in your pelvic girdle and uh, get this, coccyx uh, are merged. <laughs> they 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 are uh, merged or maybe not split. I I don't know which way it goes, uh, but um... it depends on the individual. Apparently, in some people, more of them emerged than in others. That's interesting. Um, but you know that'd be like one of the parts of the process. Then you know, besides that, is obviously extension of whatever missing chemical drive cells. God, I haven't touched this part of my brain in years. It's, it's a good part of the brain to touch, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, I remember when I was in university, we were going over um, developmental biology, and. Uh, it was funny because the, the lecturer was quite dry and boring in his approach and presentation style but I knew that the subject matter was interesting to me and I really wanted to learn about it so I, I just started drawing diagrams of what he was talking about to, to actually make sense of it for me um, 
and the result was uh, I actually was able to write a pretty decent essay about it in the end just based on this diagram so you know don't be afraid to doodle in class if you're doodling about the work that, <laughs> that is actually being lectured well, um, actually uh, when I was in college um, like uh, one of the little mini projects was to um, make up a uh, embryonic development pathway um, so uh, of course I chose dragons and I made a speculative sort of thing about um, having a mixture of a TBX5 and TBX4 gradient which normally induce the forelimb and hindlimb uh, like a mixture of them to induce uh, wings on, uh, yes. uh, on that, a dragon. That is the kind of thing that was going through my mind when I was listening to those same lectures I was just talking about as well. Because we were talking about homeobox genes and about um, fox genes, you know, the ones that, that decide how many ribs you've got and positions of limbs and all that yeah. good stuff. So, yeah, it was um, definitely on the forefront of my mind, that, that kind of where would you put extra limbs if you wanted to be a taur or a dragon or, you know, anything really that has extra um, appendages. Yeah. Um, or if you just want more than two arms. Well, that's what I included in that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is oh, a pun for no other reason than just it, it's uh, a very important pun to state. Um, but what would you call a, uh, like, say you have a tar that is the, uh, uh, like, the head honcho of a country? A grand tar. Think of it like, uh, wow, the, explaining this makes it sound like not a good pun. Maybe we should just scratch this. Yeah, that joke kind of bombed. <laughs> All right. You win some, you lose some. Um, yeah. I was going to say, how many, that joke doesn't have many legs a, in it. How many takes a lot of luck? Yep. <laughs> All right. Um, so, uh, actually... I, uh, and with that, I need to get going fairly soon. Um, what else do we need to uh, discuss? Well, just um, sort of to leave a question with our readers. Um, and it's just for a bit of fun. Sorry, readers, listeners even. But maybe some of them are readers once we've sorted out our accessibility, of course, because we do intend to uh, make some uh, what's it, transcriptions of, of the uh, podcast uh, eventually. Yeah, yeah. Transcripts. Yeah, transcripts, that's the one. Um, sorry, I've got genetics on the brain. Transcription <laughs> and next translation. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we need both really for it to be fully accessible, so we, we do need yep. to look into that. But anyway. All right. Anyway, as question, you're saying, the question I was going to ask is, what would you do? Um, say, say that we didn't have like full freedom of form technology available yet, but what would you do if you're, you know, if if you just woke up tomorrow? and discovered that you'd suddenly turned into a tour and everybody else in the world was as well. It's like, what? <laughs> you know. What, that would certainly turn society on its head. <laughs> There'd be chaos. I mean, nobody I, would I'm, be able to sit down yeah, properly. Yeah. I, I'm sure that people would immediately get to work on these technologies yeah. just so that they could be human again and then they would be like, hey, look, people have done this before. <laughs> Suddenly, they'd all be looking at us and saying, "Guys, this wasn't you, was it?" And we'd be like, "No, but you can use our technologies and ideas to help yourselves get back to how you should be, if you want." 
<laughs> However, don't bother transforming all of us. Some of us actually wanted to be tours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we can then use that to turn to turn ourselves into what we should be. Hmm. Yeah, just just when you're doing the transformation when you're doing the transformation out of being a tour, just skip humanity altogether and go to what you want to be. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Just take out the middle just line. A, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, technical note: if you have a non-shared pathway, that would make a transformation a lot more challenging. But, hmm. but it is a fun thought. I'll give you that. There has to be a middle ground. There has to be a middle ground, and there's not really much of a way to work around that. But I mean, if there yeah. has to be a middle ground, that's not going to be a huge issue. Also, I realized it, it couldn't happen tomorrow anyway. It would have to wait until Thursday. So, what? Uh, you just dropped oh, you out. dropped out. I said it wouldn't happen tomorrow anyway. It would have to wait until Thursday. You just dropped out again. Oh, for goodness sake, it was a pun. <laughs> it, but apparently, Discord hates my puns. <laughs> Alright, one more try. But it's not funny when I say it the third time. <laughs> it's I mean, the first we didn't time for it. Right. Maybe type it. I said it. It. Um. It can't happen tomorrow anyway because it would have to wait till Thursday. Oh my oh god! Oh my god! <laughs> Alright, that was worth it. That was. That was worth. That was well worth it. Alright, and and actually that kind of uh, uh, rescues the podcast from my. Terrible and not actually a pun, so I appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh dear. Okay, so you have been Zenith Mehafin, the amazing inflatable dragon. Thank yeah. you very much for coming along to our podcast. You are um, always welcome to come again. Thank you. Yeah, this has been fun. And you have also been Cami, our great crossfox from the Cascades. Thank you for having me. No uh, worries. And Andrik, thank you for dropping in. Um, I yeah. expect you're about to fly away now, aren't you? Um, I mean, I could uh, just uh, stay and talk, but uh, for next time, maybe give a little more advance before starting, so that I wouldn't have to do this awkward shuffling around with me and my brother, and just I, well, I could just well, get straight to it. We did kind of say more than a day previously uh, what the time would be. Um, yeah, but then it was just like 20 minutes before that, and I just couldn't. You, you know, we, we have these things called alarm clocks. There are even apps on our phones now. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. You know, if you spoke... Yeah. I was only really here by a complete stroke of luck. I almost overslept. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I mean, I'm happy to still have caught this, and yeah, I hope that next time I'll be on for the entire thing again. Yeah, no, this is a good awesome. conversation. I mean, obviously, too many cooks do spoil the broth, so we don't want to have, like, you know, a dozen people in at once, but, you know, to have yeah. a few of us here at a time is nice. I think four or five is about the maximum we can reasonably handle. Yeah. All right. It, it, yeah, any more than that, when we have to start using, like, Robert's rules of order, and, you know, yeah. that'd be kind of weird. That, that'd be, that'd be <laughs> a bit jank for a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Alright. I, I yield the rest of my response time to the chair. <laughs> the chair doesn't say anything because it's literally just a chair. I would love that. That would be an excellent skit. Anyway. Alright. Watch with. There, there is someone sitting in the chair, but they're only visible if you can see ultraviolet. Double oh, twist. God. They literally are the chair. That's their persona. 
Oh no. Um, I'm, I mean, I, I don't want to come across as judgmental, but if you want to be a chair, literally, just, just please no. Oh my god, there, anyway. there's a, there's a running joke on kinship. That there's someone there who literally just responds to every ping with the chair emoji, and their nickname is the chair emoji. Of course. Ah yes, that's my boyfriend. Indeed. Oh my goodness. Um, I I really do need to get going yeah. here, um, but yeah, uh, thank you everyone. This yeah, has been see great. you around. It was great having you. Long live the advice or our speciality. You take care. Have a lovely day. Right. Uh, you too. Bye. May the fluff be with you. Oh, he left. <laughs> May the fluff be with you too. <laughs> That's a lovely yeah. one. I like that. One. <laughs> I just came up with that two seconds. <laughs> well, uh, we're not starting any floof wars. Yeah. No, because no need. Hopefully. You know, we can I'm just hit. hug it out. Yeah, yeah. I've got these seven tails here. How am I going to lose anyway? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, you, you can have hugs. Oh. Yeah. Yay, hugs! Yay. Now, if, if only that could happen in real life again. Gosh, that was so I mean, long ago. <laughs> I mean, it, it will happen in like, what? Six or seven years? How, how much will that be? About that, I don't know. I was talking also about just the ability to hug one another again, thanks to COVID. Yeah, yeah, that that's also yeah. Yeah, uh, that's also, a little there's earlier. Also, uh, there's also kind of the Atlantic Ocean to be worried about in terms of not being able to hug each other. But hopefully, we'll be able to meet up at, at a single place at a single time at some point. Oh, it's yeah. just a few thousand miles of planet in the way, you know. Big whoop. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get past that soon enough. I mean, Andrik won't be held back by that. <laughs> yeah. Not. You just need a big wingspan. We'll yeah, I mean, indeed. Somehow. Yeah. It's just no guarantees on how far you can actually fly. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm hoping that I could get maybe like 40 or 50 kilometers out of that. That's specifically for one stunt, which I would really, which I'd really love to do. Perhaps if you jump off the top of a mountain, you man might manage that. But um, yeah, but um, like no, yeah. I'm, I was talking from sea level to forty kilometers away, sea level. Oh, that that is a tough call because so far, all the calculations we've done for flight, um, which were based on a dragon, really, were. Um, I mean, it was based on the idea that that you you're starting from a human, adult male. Yeah. Um, because that was who we were talking about at the time we did the calculation. Yeah. Um, we figured that you'd get about two minutes of flight uh, if we did everything as optimally as we could with what we know about technologically um, yeah. that we would be reasonably capable of in the short term. But that doesn't mean that it's impossible to improve on that, it just means it's going to be difficult. Yeah. What about because biomechanical enhancements? I would that work? I mean, yeah, but that's cheating. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it wouldn't really feel like me if I had biologically enhanced with that. Yeah, I actually had planned a route for a, tra a transatlantic flight path, which would go from the islands above Scotland over the Faroe Islands, Iceland, and Greenland over to Canada. But for that, I would have to fly o over three hundred kilometers. Yeah, in, I mean uh, that that one route... hit. That route is already used by people in propeller planes who want to take them between yeah. America and Europe. And the, then the other thing which I wanted would be to go, would be to go from Naukan, Russia, over the Diomedes to Wales, Alaska, which would work if I would be able to fly for forty kilometers nonstop. Oh yeah, that that would be more doable because um, if, if you did it in winter, especially, there'd be some ice in the sea that you could land on in an emergency. Yeah. 
the bigger problem would be politics. Yeah. Yeah, because like Russia and the United States are always at each other's throats, and there's not and, really anything and, you can do about so... that because it goes back so far. Yeah. Um, especially when it comes to Russia's backyard, you know, when, when you're out there in you know the far east of Siberia, I've heard of people crossing the Diomedes before, and it's like, you know, as soon as they get yeah, to the Russian like they side, have, the yeah, Russians they just have look one at route. Like, what the hell are you doing? If, you know, yeah. or, or it's like they have one route, and if they deviate from it by like a small fraction, they're already at risk. Yeah, arrest or something. And I mean, it's kind of weird. Into you know, we live in this world where, where it's got all these boundaries and rules yeah. and regulations that separate people just based on which bit of rock we happen to be stood on. Yeah. And, you know, it's not our fault we were born in a particular place. Yeah. Yeah, it's not our fault we were born in a particular place. And when, when you get online and you talk to people around the world, you realise that, you know, everybody's practically the same in terms of what they really can do and who they can be. You know, what yeah. potential they have. <laughs> Um, if they are not limited by politics, it's just politics is still a leftover from before international communications were so easy. Yeah. The internet has no borders. But um, you take care, won't you? Have a lovely rest of your day. Yeah. Um, and I've got plenty to do now because uh, I've been almost sort of nearly full time hired by the FFF now in a sense. Because well, that's awesome. Nice. It's, it's a temporary thing for now, but I'm hoping to make it permanent. But we'll see. Um, have my support. Thanks. Because <laughs> um, basically, I'm not sure yeah. how much that. I'm not sure how much that matters, but you've got my support anyway. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, the, the charity had a backlog of paperwork to get through, basically, yeah. so they just needed me to get on with it. Um, so that was what that's for. But I'm hoping that I can make so much progress and make the the charity so much in a better yeah. position that they decide to just keep going with it. You know. Well, that's the best case scenario, and honestly, I can see that happening. Yeah, I hope yeah, so, because um, I really enjoy this. Um, you know, knowing that I'm working for for something that I've put so much heart and soul and effort into. You know. All right, you take care of yourselves. Have a lovely day. Bye bye. Yeah, you too. You too. Bye.